The Black Writers Studio podcast is supported in part by the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, Amazon Literary Partnership, and supporters like you. Visit us at hurstonwright.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Welcome to the Black Writers Studio, a podcast presented by the Hurston Wright Foundation and hosted by Dr. Khadija Ali Coleman. The Black Writers Studio is dedicated to showcasing Black writers who are transforming the world today with their literary pen and creating a legacy for the culture. Guthrie P. Ramsey Jr. is a music historian, pianist, composer, and professor emeritus of music at the University of Pennsylvania. A widely published writer, he's the author of Race Music, Black Cultures from Bebop to Hip Hop, and The Amazing Bud Powell, Black Genius, Jazz History, and the Challenges of Bebop. Dr. Ramsey is co-author with Samuel A. Floyd Jr. and Melanie Zek of the book, The Transformation of Black Music, The Rhythms, The Songs, and the Ships of the African Diaspora. He is author of the new book, Who Hears Here? A collection of essays. He was editor for the series Music of the African Diaspora at the University of California Press for 10 years and founding editor of the blog musicology.com. That I show you myself And the dance gonna tell you about the rain You know the feet gonna kick up all the dirt And the dirt gonna tell you about the pain And the sound only permeates the world Cause we rolled on so many of its waves From a land where they can barely handle one Of the twelve bars and the blues from which I came To be black in the stories of my blood And the war for my kind of have a say On the plane where most in the rooms Told all stories through the white gaze I love to see people chair dancing to the music <laughs> No, is, is that you on vocals? No, the um, the uh, song is co-written by me and the rapper. Okay. And uh, was produced by David Hackley. Mm. Uh, and uh, background vocals and mixing and engineering by uh, uh, my music partner, uh, Wavy Wilson. Ooh. And so it's a team effort. And, uh, you know, I wrote it and played some keys on it. Yeah, and, and sounds that, so yeah. nice. Thank so, you so much. So, oh my goodness. I what a start. I love it. What a start to the interview. Um so, yeah, you you know about your house music and all music. So, I was really excited about this interview because you're so multidisciplinary and that's how I, I introduce myself um to folks because there's so many things I, I look at creative expression as being something that you possess and then the different avenues are the the disciplines in which we express that creativity. So I just love the fact that you are a creator, you're a scholar, you're you're just all of these these different you wear all these different hats. So um welcome 
to the Black Writers Studio. <laughs> Thank you. How, how many guests have started out like that? <laughs> None. You are the first. And I feel that you are preparing me for a 2023 that's going to be so much brighter and beautiful than how 2022 has been. But what a what a start. I love it. I love it. So tell me, tell me about, um, let's start with you as this um, creative soul and this journey that has led you um, to being a music maker, but also a scholar of music. Where well, do you I start? I began life as a musician and loving music and wanting to be a maker. I think I got serious at age 11 where I thought, okay, this is for me. This is this is really what fascinates me. This is what keeps me going. And, and I, like many young musicians, I pursued it through high school, you know, strategically being, you know, and uh, letting others, uh, you know, guide me into the, the right spaces and continuing on into college. Although I didn't go straight to college after high school, I joined some bands and Okay, you were a working toured. musician, yeah. Yes, yeah. What was, what was your instrument of choice that you started with? Piano. Okay. Was yeah. it, was that the first um, of many different instruments or was that your, your, your home instrument? I messed around a little bit with guitar and uh, I played Hammond B3 when I was directing the gospel oh, wow. choirs, you know, okay. and a little flute, you know, uh, in yeah, the Yeah, I get the this since you're a multi-instrumentalist, so I, I wanted to know, <laughs> I can tell. Just very, you. very little, very little, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, if, 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 if I like a, a like the girl and she was uh, playing an instrument, I try to learn it, you know, just whatever. <laughs> so it was, it was, you know, it's a, it's a thing, you know, thing about musicians that is, it's really our portal, our passport to other worlds. It's our yes. portal and passport to meet people and, yes. and, uh, and to be in spaces that maybe we normally wouldn't be invited to. So That's yeah, so I've, used, I've used music a lot of different ways. That's so true. My partner and I met in a band and my partner of 20 years um, and we were in a band and he's a multi-instrumentalist and he'll tell you the same thing. And that's why I want to know when did the, you know, um, you know, right now, Questlove is very popular um, because he is this renowned drummer and a part of a famous band, but he also has his hands in different um productions as a filmmaker and as a historian and you have this just this journeyed career as a musician when was that turning point where you moved from um being a performing artist to also um widening your your reach as a scholar when did that happen well i learned early on in uh, my early 20s that uh in order to have a a more or less stabilized, you know, like that, as I envisioned it, I would need to add something onto that uh, piano player's resume, because after all, I was starting to have children, and that puts a certain pressure on one's art to mm -hmm. try to use art to support a life rather than using one's life to support your art. Oh, and so, yeah, you know, so when I, mm -hmm. you know, went into education, which was my first turn, uh, in in Chicago, in my, my hometown, I uh, did. I was teaching public school, and I wanted to change pay lanes, so I started pursuing a master's degree. Okay, you know they give you maybe 
three thousand extra or whatever. I'm like, right, sounds yeah. sounds good. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I started doing you know pursuing the masters. I started doing more reading, and mm-hmm. I started getting acquainted with all of the beautiful scholarship and the writers like Amiri Baraka, Portia Maltzby, yeah. Samuel Floyd, and yeah. I happened to get to meet Samuel Floyd. And he he saw my life and he said, you know, I see you, you're you're teaching school, mm-hmm. you're teaching piano in the conservatory at night, you're teaching private lessons door to door, you are a church musician, you're a nightclub musician. He said, How about we pull all of that energy into one thing? I, you know, he tested my research skills and um and uh, interest with a little project, gave me a little project to do that would take me two weeks to do today, but it took me a whole <laughs> a whole year. But he, he saw me stick with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, he just told, told me about this field called musicology. And uh, I, you know, just based on the, the recommendation of someone I respected, uh, I took that turn. And that's when things turned around for me, when I went to the University of Michigan for graduate school. Mm. So, so tell me a little bit about that musicology, because, uh, you know, so many, I, I used to be, I, I have a, a, a story career as well as an, an educator, as well as a performance artist and a writer. And when I worked, um, at a number of schools working with students, particularly students who I had to confer with that weren't d- doing the best academically, most of them had aspirations of being some type of performance artist, whether it was a musician, an actor, um, but very little vision as to how that could manifest in an academic career. So you, so he sees this vision for you, you move into musicology. Can you break down for us? What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that when I entered, this is not the most important uh, observation, but one of the things I had to come to terms with is that the field of musicology, when I entered, was uh, primarily uh, a white, mm-hmm. you know, enterprise. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was quite a a, a, a rude awakening, uh, and just because uh, I imagined that it would be more diverse because mm-hmm. of the kind of outsized uh, role that black musicians have played in this uh, country's musical profile. Right. Even globally, like uh, it's, you know, it's black music is foundational to so much, so many things, you know? Absolutely. Right. So uh, that was one of the first things. The next thing, which is the good part is that I learned to uh, deal with this equation that has uh, formulated many of the questions that I uh, have pursued in my uh, both my teaching and my uh, uh, writing. And that is uh, this quote from Christopher Small, a, a late uh, British musicologist. Why are these people making this music at this time in this place? Mm. So you, you deal with people, part of that equation, you're dealing with the rich varieties of uh, identities that Mm -hmm. go into, you know, societies. Mm -hmm. Music is when you learn all of the the formal conventions of what people are doing. 
time deals with history. Yes. And then place deals with geography. So yes. those that's kind of shaped me into so many investigations in uh, Black music making in America. And I haven't I stopped. I absolutely love that. Um, I, I could talk to you about that forever. I used to teach um, intro to fine and performing arts. And that's how those are the questions that I had students ask because art is always this always has a story about where a people are historically in terms of um, you know if there's any warring happening or um, any type of trans um, transition or, or travel or movement from one place to another. It, you can always learn about that through the art. So I actually thank you for um, breaking down what that study is because it also um, you know moving from a performance arts background to now really focusing on the scholarship regarding music, I'm sure that that impacted how you approached your art as well as a performance artist. Um, and so that could be a whole other part too of this podcast. So I'm not going to have us go down that lane, but knowing that how, um, you know, because you have so many awards and, and honors associated with your, your work. Is there one um, project that you've worked on before, your new project that's out now that I want you to talk about, that really um, ignited something in you and let you know that this is something that you want to do to impact our, um, our people culturally and the world culturally with the, the scholarship that you're engaging in? Uh, that's a great question. I would say that um, a project that kind of turned a corner for me was this uh, album I put out during the pandemic called The Spiritual Vibe. Oh, wow. And it's uh, some re, uh, it, it revisits some of the, the music I grew up on, some of the spirituals and the hymns. It's the first all kind of uh, spiritual uh, project that I've put out. And why it's so meaningful to me is that although I had been experimenting for a while, the kind of uh, cultural traffic that happens between my scholarship and my music making, uh, this particular uh, project was uh, inspired by something, something deeply personal. And that is I was uh, diagnosed with cancer in 2019. Mm -hmm. And my response was that I wanted to make the music that was going to heal me. Wow. So I went into the studio, I gave I had a birthday party in a recording studio and, and I invited some of my uh, musician friends and we Love laid it. out some basic tracks for that, uh, for that, uh, that piece. And first of all, I should say, I'm happy to report that the, the music worked <laughs> together with the creator and, and, yeah. and all of the prayers and all of that. It's uh, I'm clean bill of health. Oh, but wonderful. what this is what changed me is that I was very honest about why I put that music in the world. Mm -hmm. I could, it's, it's a, I really love the music, first of all, and I could have just put it out there and say, Hey, Look at me! I can make some good music. Right. I hope y'all. I hope y'all like it. But right. it was really more about just being honest about my human experience and putting it, that out there as uh, an intricate part of the work. I now again, I had done it in my scholarship before, and I had done it in my music before, mm -hmm. but I had never just 
put it out there so directly as mm. that. And the reception was just amazing. Mm. So I, I just, I would say that it was about a level of honesty mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or something. I still haven't worked it all out, but I just would point to that, that um, project as being kind of special to me. Right. And it sounds like it wasn't attachment to it in the same way as, I mean, you you said it already that it's not about being seen. It wasn't about being seen. You really, it's like your testimony. Like this Absolutely. is something that you created to heal yourself. And mm-hmm. you're sharing that with the world um, as an offering more so than as, hey, look at me. This is like evidence of, of how this has healed me. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I was burning sage and growing tomatoes on the deck. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love that. I love that. So you just gave your your full self to the music. So so the book that's out now, can you tell us a little bit about it? And does it have any connection to this particular experience um, in in 2019 working on the music project? Uh, I I wouldn't call it the 2019 project, but the the book Who Hears Here on Black Music's Past and Present. Uh, it, it's more about. Uh, me two 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 things you know two life events one i i just retired from teaching at the university of pennsylvania uh after more than uh 35 years of teaching teaching you know uh in in all my realms right many congratulations thank you thank you (laughs) and uh so the the retirement kind of marked a, a a kind of a bookend to a certain kind of productivity that I was doing and mm-hmm. who I was talking to and, and all that. And then also the pandemic, which uh, occurred where I had time to uh, collect these essays and, you know, uh, just as a writer's workshop, you know, you got to get permissions, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if you're a younger scholar, I would say always keep the rights for your, uh, for your work. Don't give your rights away because mm-hmm. you'll wind up having to pay people to reproduce your own essays that you mm-hmm. worked on. Mm-hmm. So I would say those two things, the retirement and the uh, uh, the pandemic allowed me to sit back and take assessment of what it is I wanted to say. And I, I actually learned a lot by reading some, rereading some of these things that had I had been writing since um, ni- the earliest essay is 1996. Oh, wow. Wow. So can you can you give us a sneak peek? Is there any essay in particular that you um, that was the first or set the tone or the theme for the project? Well, the the title of the book comes from an essay that I wrote. Who hears here uh, uh, on. uh, Let me get the title exactly right, because, of course, I was trying to be as provocative as possible. You know, like (laughs) it was a a kind of. a a note to the field of musicology. So it was titled, Who Hears Here? Black Music, Critical Bias, and the Musicological Skin Trade. Mm. You know, and it's, uh, it was about this moment of uh, multiculturalism in, uh, in, in the humanities that Mm. exploded in the late 80s, early 90s. Yes. And people were looking for, you know, basically colored bodies to, Mm -hmm. to, you know, populate their fields not too many though Mm -hmm. but what preceded the need or the desire for uh scholars of color and women to be uh included into the uh 
into the guild was this obsession with the music of, of Black Americans and new theoretical constructs to uh, deal with the multicultural, uh, uh, you know, affect that it, mm-hmm. that this would bring to the field. Mm-hmm. Well, as a, a young Black scholar, I was in the field and there was this assumption that and uh, that I would be working on these issues, you know, mm. the, the recruiting and, and, and all of that. I was uh, still a, a junior professor without tenure. Mm. And I was on these committees to be diverse and stuffing envelopes and mm. call, you know, this was before the digital. <laughs> <laughs> I was in college around that time. So this was actually also when um, CRT, because I know Derek Bell's writings were coming out around that time focusing on that's where that concept started to to percolate was in the late 80s because I know when I was in college like maybe 91 92 I read faces at the bottom of the well so yeah, yeah that you know the moment right it was yeah, just yep yep it's just everywhere I do and I, I it's so crazy that you are even talking about this because my first accepted paper in a journal was around that issue and just how it's important. Yeah. So I'm not going to even derail <laughs> what you're talking about because I'm, I'm there and I, I I remember that moment. And so you as a, a junior professor and, and seeing now, because it's trendy and I, and it's so funny because I think we're kind of in a space like that now, but it's, it's, it's a bit different, but I, I'd love to hear what your thoughts, how this essay was born in that moment. Well, you know, I'm sitting there stuffing envelopes and <laughs> <laughs> because that's what we had to do back then. Right. And I really cared about the work. I knew it needed to be done. So it wasn't like I was trying to get out of work, but I, I just felt like part of it was a gimmick in this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that I was seeing uh, other Black scholars who had dedicated themselves to those quote unquote causes mm-hmm. and not getting the quote unquote real work done. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm not falling for this one. Yeah. I'm going to write in such a way that this form of activism is part of my scholarship and not this add-on that you do for committee work and service. So I tried to collapse this idea of service to this worthy cause within my um, within my, the, the scholarship I was putting out of, mm-hmm. about music. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it it got me some, the attention that, you know, we're all in the field, you're trying to get people to hear your voice. Right. And uh, so this, these early essays are about me trying to find a voice in the field of musicology yeah. and to make elbow room for those who would follow me who wouldn't have to fight the same battles. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I I love that. And and I I I it's so timely, particularly now with you know everything's diversity, equity, and inclusion, and these really specialized, trendy terms. And it as you know, as Toni Morrison says, it really distracts us from the work um of what's it has always been there. And so, you know, new names, new mission, but it, it allows, yeah. So when if if that was the I would say the the sparking piece for this collection, what would you say would be the culminating piece in your in your essay collection that um, kind of moves us to some things that um, 
you've been thinking about that may not necessarily be so intrinsically linked to multiculturalism? Are there other themes that that pop up in the book? Sure. You know, the idea, I use the idea of collecting myself mm. in the, uh, in you know, through these essays, because I believe that writing is always about self-fashioning, even mm. if it's uh, about, uh, quote unquote, objective scholarship, that mm. oneself is a part of, you're performing yourself in your prose, you know. Wow. It, and so I'm collecting all of the selves I were at I was at different times and places and writing these essays and trying to get on and looking back at them and, and saying, you know, wow, why did I write this essay? Oh, I was invited to such and such to talk mm -hmm. about this. And then I went through that whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I think the culmination occurs in the intro when I had to reread all of these essays and look back and say, okay, what, what was I trying to do at that mm -hmm. time in that place? What was I trying to say? And I had to make some kind of sense of it, you know, that, you know, this is one person, but there are many selves represented mm -hmm. in it. I mean, there was a moment when after I got tenure, I, I formed a band. That's when I started my band. Wow. <laughs> I went back right I back to, to ground zero. <laughs> Talk about stress release. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I started writing, you know, my music again. Yes. And uh I uh, actually took a turn in my uh my writing because uh I, I married an art historian and curator, uh Kelly Jones who happened to be the daughter of one of my literary heroes, Mary Baraka. And then so I saw up close how people write mm -hmm. when they are not just uh, narrowing their audience down to other academics. Right. What does it mean to use your writing as a public platform yes. and to tr translate all of this stuff that we're learning so that regular smart people can be invested in it and right. and and learn about it so i can see in the essays you know you know i guess i guess i got turned out <laughs> <laughs> but it it sounds like you used auto ethnography to really be like a a tool for it was like a, a, a um the equivalent of journaling or or, or reflection for you um and and I love that autoethnography is is becoming more popular, particularly among Black scholars and people of color, because that type of qualitative documentation is, you know, has for so long been frowned upon because it brings these these selves into the equation. And I love how you even characterize it, the, the performing selves. So you I'm sure that you're looking back and um addressing or reflecting on all the ways that you've shown up and how has this culminated to who you are now, you know? Um, and then how can this, how can you show your readers this process? So is there something that you demonstrate in your book as a, as a, as your process or um, is it, do you talk more about the outcomes? Uh there is probably some process through throughout it all because I like that auto ethnography uh, aspect of, of of what you're talking about because my first book, Race Music, 
definitely uses my family of origin story, the migration narrative of my or my family's origin from uh, the deep south to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, as a kind of uh, organizing theme for through which you know I'm trying to understand of uh, the music that I was listening to as a scholar, and. I think throughout my work, I uh, although you make a kind of grandstand about it in the earlier essays because you were making an intervention in an academic guild, right, right, which right. is one type of argument you make. Right, right. But when you open it up and start talking to uh, to a broader audience, it's not so much you're not so much concerned with how your peers are going to vet it. You're thinking about offering things up that the public will become invested in and want to read further, listen deeper, and and that. So I'm very clear about that in in all of my writing. That sounds like a new methodology. Are are we the first? (laughs) This seems like you're developing a new framework. That's exciting. Um, Because even when you talk about your... um, your release in 2019 and the the release of the music um and then this book follows um it seems like you're moving in this way where it's like a fusion of creativity and academia which is definitely moves action of possibly creating a new framework or even how um we we look at um knowledge creation so I would really be curious to see where you are next year in terms of, you know, what what you pulled from this book to be something that another scholar can come behind and say this framework that you've you've created. But tell me this in the book. And I'm so, you know, I, I, I tell I'm telling our listeners now I did not get a chance to preview the book before um, I have you on. So that's why I have all of these questions. I'm just itching to get my hands on it. But I wanted to know. In the book, do you have any soundscapes or links to any of your music? Is it anything that it has a companion sound list, or is that something that you're you're considering? You know, that's a really great idea to come up with a Spotify list of all the music I talk about in yes. in the book. That would be a, a really great idea and easy to pull together. Thank you for that. You're so welcome, uh, and I give it thank to you, you. free. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. I appreciate that. So that's a wonderful idea. Yeah, uh, I love that. And if and if you if and when you do that, make sure you share it so that I can share it with our audience because I think that and I think that that um, one of the things that will be different about that is that you are sharing your history. So this is this is us getting to know you more. Is if we are hearing this music and we're we're now involved in that process that that put that book together. So that I'm really looking forward to that if that's something that you do. Is there anything before we as we start to wind down, is there anything that you want readers to know when they pick up the book? Anything in particular that you want them to walk away knowing or feeling after having read um, some of the essays in your book? Well, my 92, my 94-year-old mother, who was a uh, educated in a segregated uh, a school system in Valdosta, Georgia, mm. and uh, graduated valedictorian of her class and didn't think that college was in, uh, got a scholarship to Spelman College, but got married and had a baby instead because that was her 
place as she understood it. Uh, she was a, a lifelong learner, is a lifelong learner. And uh, she was reading the book and uh, she said, this is, uh, this is uh, uh, how she put it. This is enlightening and a freedom train. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, my goodness. So uh, you need to put that on your website. I like that. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's always dropping bars like that. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's where you got it from. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just want people to understand that uh, I, I, I wrote this because I uh, believe that I believe in the dignity of Black people. I believe that uh, we are deserving of so much more than uh, what this country has been able to offer us. Yes. And I believe our music, uh, which was, by the way, uh, one of the first um, ways in which we communicated our humanity to one another, mm -hmm. and one that was recognized by the outside uh, uh, you know, world as significant because it proved that we were more than chattel. Yes, yes. Okay, that, that music was oh, the thing that did that. So I believe that uh, studying the history of this music is one of the most reliable ways we have of speaking to our ancestors, speaking to the dead and having them speak to us because music as we have used it is a place for us to time travel. Yes. The music I've written today will be listened to by future generations and used as a time capsule to be understand why was this musician making this music at this time and in this place? And this is what this book is about. Wonderful. What, what wonderful final words. Tell us the um, title one more time and tell us where you would like for us to... Um, listeners to purchase it if there's a bookstore or a website give us those details well this book is called who hears here this is a beautiful cover by the uh visual artist uh jack whitten an abstract artist that i i knew and loved before he passed away He's, i love his work this is a piece uh, that he wrote in, uh, that he made in homage to bud powell uh, another book i wrote uh and uh, you can purchase this book wherever you buy your fine books. You can order it online from the press, the University of California Press, or whatever individual bookstore that you that you uh, use. And you can follow me on Instagram at Ramsey Music, uh, Twitter on Dr. Guy Musicology, and on Facebook at Guthrie Ramsey. Wonderful. Thank you so much for um, taking time out of your day to spend with me in the Black Writers Studio. Um, it has been a pleasure and is um, meeting you and learning about your new work and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.